Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on October 15th, 2021 from my home studio here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. In this episode, we have some political news looking at the upcoming hearing for the so-called fetal heartbeat bill in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Former Governor Nikki Haley gets appointed to her alma mater's board of trustees. Boeing continues to deal with old and new 787 production issues. We also talk with SCDOT Secretary Christy Hall about infrastructure and big projects on the horizon. And Scott Morgan has a report on opioids and addiction in the aftermath of 2020. These stories and many, many more folks, so stay tuned. And we want to hear your stories. That's why we set up a voicemail box to hear from you all about your life during these interesting times. Leave us a one to three minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. We love hearing from you guys. We've gotten some great voicemails so far, so keep them coming. We love hearing from you. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is widespread, ongoing, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 13,232 total deaths, and currently there are 883,982 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of October 15th at 4 p.m. Our current percent positive rate is 6.4%. Currently, 1,088 South Carolinians are hospitalized with COVID-19, 326 are in intensive care, and 204 are in ventilators. These numbers continue to drop. Right now, 11 children are hospitalized with COVID-19, two are in intensive care, and two are on ventilators. And 2.3 million, or 53.8% of eligible South Carolinians have been fully vaccinated. The Associated Press reports that the U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals has tentatively scheduled December 6 to hear oral arguments for a lawsuit challenging South Carolina's abortion law. This is about a week after the U.S. Supreme Court considers a similar measure in Mississippi. Planned Parenthood is suing South Carolina over its so-called fetal heartbeat bill passed earlier this year. It bans almost all abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, which opponents argue is too soon for most women to know if they are pregnant. Moving on... Former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations and Governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, has been named to the Clemson Board of Trustees, effective immediately. Haley succeeds David Wilkins of Greenville, who is retiring as a trustee after serving since 2007, including six years as chair. Wilkins will become a trustee emeritus. And Senator Tim Scott gave his endorsement for Governor Henry McMaster as the governor runs for his second full term. Meg Kennard with AP reports that next month, Scott is the special guest at a fundraiser for McMaster's re-election campaign, according to an invitation obtained by the AP. The event is to be attended by McMaster and Lieutenant Governor Pam Evett, and it's being held at a private home on Daniel Island. This endorsement is significant because Scott, who is typically polled as the most popular politician in the state, is saying, I back Henry Mack. Anyone else who wants to get in the race? Good luck. We got some some more court news for you, this time in our business section. 
The state Supreme Court affirmed a lower court's ruling dismissing a case against Governor McMaster and SC Department of Employment and Workforce Executive Director Dan Elzey over the early termination of federal pandemic unemployment benefits this summer. In a statement, McMaster said, Our goal has always been to usher in a rapid economic recovery that will lift all South Carolinians and benefit generations to come, and we've done that. Rather than working to incentivize South Carolinians to accept one of thousands of available jobs in our state, these federal benefits presented a clear danger to the health of our state's business by keeping people home. That was a statement from the governor. The state's unemployment rate inched down from 4.6% in May when McMaster announced the program would end to now at 4.2%. The South Carolina Appleseed Legal Justice Center and others contended that benefits paid under the programs are advantages available under the Social Security Act. Therefore, they argued that due must continue to participate in the programs until they expire. McMaster and LZ claim benefits paid out are not advantages available under the SSA. According to the court's ruling in granting the motion to dismiss, the circuit court found that the benefits provided under the CARES Act are new benefits, never previously available to unemployed workers, and are provided by legislation separate and apart from the SSA. Although the federal government chooses to use the funding mechanisms available through the Social Security Administration, that does not mean that these new benefits fall under that program. It simply shows that Congress used an existing mechanism to put them into place quickly, and so they affirmed the circuit court's decision. Now let's move from the ground to the skies. Yes! Boeing said it delivered zero planes. Okay, well, I guess we're not going to the skies then. <laughs> said it delivered zero planes between July and September, and only 14 planes overall this year. Boeing reports third quarter earnings on October 27th. Now, the company said it is continuing to complete comprehensive inspections across the 787 production system and within the supply chain while holding detailed, transparent discussions with the FAA, suppliers, and their customers. Boeing also said that production resources remain focused on inspections and rework, and the 787 production rate remains lower than five airplanes per month. Right, so let's keep with Boeing's headaches. The Wall Street Journal reported exclusively this week about a new problem with the 787, which since March has been only built at the North Charleston plant. The new problem involves certain titanium parts that are weaker than they should be on the 787s built over the past three years, according to people familiar with the matter. The discovery is among other Dreamliner snafus that have left Boeing stuck with more than $25 billion of the jets in its inventory. The finding is fresh evidence that the plane maker is still trying to fix its manufacturing operations, despite a nearly two-year push by CEO David Calhoun to restore Boeing's reputation for building quality jets. In addition, the FAA is investigating Boeing's quality controls. Also, the aerospace giant is mandating all of its 125,000 U.S. employees be vaccinated against COVID-19 by December 8th. You probably know this, Boeing is one of the largest U.S. defense contractors, and this mandate will bring it into full compliance with the White House's requirement for contractors to be fully vaccinated. A lot going on there for Boeing, but let's stick with the federal government. It's still functioning for now, I think. Yes, it is. But what about that $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that would send upwards of $5 billion to help fix South Carolina's underinvested infrastructure? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has set All Hallows' Eve as the deadline for a vote on the massive bill, which would coincide with the surface transportation funding running out, as well as President Joe Biden's plan to attend the UN-hosted climate talks in Glasgow, Scotland. The money that would come to the state over five years would help catch up investment in many areas. Now, a lot is happening while at the same time our state has grown by 10% over the past decade, and it's not slowing down. On a special This Week in South Carolina, I spoke with several state leaders about transportation infrastructure, broadband, 
the ports, and how to move all South Carolinians forward should this money be approved, as well as the influx of billions in COVID recovery dollars, budget surpluses, and increasing gas tax revenues. A lot of money is the big takeaway there, folks. So here is part of my interview with SCDOT Secretary Christy Hall near Malfunction Junction in Columbia, which is a more than $1 billion, eight-year project set to break ground next month. Here's our conversation, and yes, you're going to hear cars. Yeah, this project had been skipped over for decades. As a matter of fact, I was a young project engineer on this project back in the late 90s when I first started with the agency, and it was always too expensive, too hard, too complex, just too big of a project for us to tackle. But once the uh, roads bill passed in 2017, that gave us the capital to start investing in big projects like this. And so now we're on the verge of breaking ground on this uh, uh, record-breaking project for the state of South Carolina. And how long will that project take overall? How long will it take to build this out? It'll take approximately eight years in total, and that's all five phases of the project. So back in 2016, we're talking about the gas tax. Back in 2016, SCDOT was bringing about $761 million for roads, paving, bridges, interstate widenings, highway widenings. Uh, but then the gas tax got passed in 2017, and that money is about to double essentially over that time period, if I'm correct. So how does that change what's happening in the state when it comes to infrastructure investment? Right, so that, that single infrastructure investment by our General Assembly changed us from basically uh, just barely able to keep up with basic repairs to really being able to uh, get us to a state of good repair over time. And I'm hoping with the federal infrastructure, once it passes that we'll be able to tackle some congestion projects um, as well all across the state. And when we're talking about all those big interstate projects, how long will it take until possibly all those are realized? And then at that point, will that be enough? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, our plan will go all the way out to 2045 for the full plan. Um, part of what the governor recognized was an opportunity to try to accelerate the widening that we had stretched out previously over a 15-year period on I-26 between Columbia and Charleston. So he, he realized that there was a one-time uh, opportunity to maybe apply some, some one-time funding to accelerate that project by six years to compress it to within a nine to 10-year construction window to widen that entire 70 mile corridor. So, um, you know, it's, it's our job to really look for those opportunities once we know what our priorities are is to find ways to get it done as fast as we can as, and as inexpensively as we can. You're talking about that American Rescue Plan money that the legislature still has to appropriate, but you guys are making a big push to do and help, like you said, move up the timeline when it comes to widening parts of I-26. Right. I mean, we, we view those funds as a, a, a tremendous opportunity to make a once-in-a-generational investment to, to make a significant impact on really accelerating a project. But do you feel like people say to you, don't you all have enough money? Why are we using this for roads and bridges? I think uh, if you look at what it costs just to do business and the type of work that we do, this project that we're sitting at here today is estimated to be anywhere from $1.5 to $1.6 billion just by itself. Not to mention uh, the you know, $1.2 billion project that I talked about to widen 26 between Columbia and Charleston. So the order of the magnitude of the types of projects that we're talking about is significant. And it takes a lot of money to, to, to deliver those projects and to build them. When we look at freight, and we talk about how much freight moves through our state. We're talking about 465 million tons are shipped to, from, or through South Carolina every year. Uh, that amount's estimated to grow by 
65% by 2040. Will we be prepared to meet that challenge when it comes along? I know we're talking about big interstate improvements and things like that, so it sounds like we are, but tell us how ready you guys are for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, I alluded to our vision all the way out to 2045. This project that we're sitting at is one of those key components um, to, to help move the freight through throughout South Carolina. There are three major freight pinch, pinch points here in the state, all interstate to interstate connections. We've got plans to improve all of those. Some of that work has already been completed. The work right here is getting ready to start. Next, we'll move down to the Charleston area and tackle 526-26, and then make those rural interstate connections that are needed to accommodate the freight needs. So we've got a plan in motion. We're ready to execute it. It's all about getting it done and getting it funded and possibly accelerating it with some of this one-time money. Now, it's a great episode, and I encourage all of you all to watch it. I'll be using some more pieces of it next week. You can find the entire episode on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. And next Tuesday, I will be up in Greenville, hashtag yeah, that Greenville, to cover the SC Chambers event, looking at workforce issues hitting the economy. The keynote speaker will be Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond President Tom Barkin. Yes, you've heard him on the pod here before, and I look forward to catching up with him and others when talking regional growth, workforce, supply chain, and inflation issues. So stay tuned for that next week, people. When the pandemic shut down in-person substance abuse programs last year, opioid overdoses just about doubled from a year earlier, and they haven't gone down much since. Scott Morgan has this story, which is a snapshot of what counselors are seeing in rural Barnwell County and what they're worried they might be seeing in high schools. Here's Scott with the latest. Pam Rush is sifting through papers. And what these, what these reports do is they show you the number of overdoses in the, in the top 10 counties. This is by rate. In May of 2020, Barnwell was not in the top 10 for the number, but we were number two in the rate. Rush is the executive director of the Access One Center. That's Barnwell County's Substance Abuse Treatment and Prevention Agency. And those stats on opioid overdoses come from the State Department of Health and Environmental Control. They show the rates of overdoses between March 20th and this past August. The hardest hit counties by percentage of their populations are almost all rural, with Barnwell, Marion, and especially Union counties seeing the worst. These are relatively small counties, but Rush says that's kind of the problem. Because we're small, they all know each other. They have a network. They know the dealers, they know where the trap houses are, where they can use. What we found in the beginning of the pandemic was that when face-to-face services were shut down, they found comfort in each other. They're seeking comfort, she says, from the pandemic and all its isolation and loneliness and disconnection. The pages Rush is pouring through paint a depressing picture of substance abuse on the rise in Barnwell County throughout the pandemic. Starting in March 2020, use among African Americans and in people over 55 spiked here. Overdoses correspondingly came along for the ride. And increasingly, these overdoses are not triggered by the opioids themselves. In an ironic twist, fewer prescription opioids are on the street these days. So clever drug dealers not willing to let a good market soften got creative. 
and they started making press pills laced with fentanyl. And it's that fentanyl, because it takes such a small amount of fentanyl to cause death, it's the fentanyl that really causes the overdose. It takes as little as two milligrams, actually. That's about half a mosquito, if you're curious. Now, saving people from these overdoses, that takes a lot more mosquitoes. Our first responders are trained to use Narcan, but if they're using this poly drug combination, it either takes more of the Narcan, or unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work at all. I've heard EMF say last year about this time that they used eight different Narcan sprays on one person to bring them out. So that was a lot of drugs in that body. Narcan is a brand name for naloxone, a nasal spray used to bring people out of opioid overdose. It tends to work if all you're taking is too much of one prescription thing. It tends not to work so well if you're taking a bunch of different drugs, which may or may not include handmade pills whipped up with who knows what in someone's basement. And zero of this is a strictly rural problem. All of this is unfolding all over South Carolina, where opioid overdoses doubled to more than 900 in May of 2020 compared to a year earlier, and they have stayed up since. It is increasingly concerning that we're having a hard time getting those numbers down. Sarah Goldsby is the director of the State Department of Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse Services, or DEOTIS. Not only with folks maintaining use, continuing use, but with the very potent and deadly illicit drug supply that we have currently. Goldsby says the ages of suspected overdoses in South Carolina are skewing higher, affecting more men and women in the 35 to 65 range than ever. But zero of this is affecting only self-medicating adults. Lurking in the background is a morbid question of how pandemic-era disruptions will play out among adolescents and teenagers. The disconnection from school, the disconnection from extracurricular activities, church groups, all of those protective factors taken away over the last couple of years, a lot of children moving to online platforms. It's a major shift, and I think it'll take a while for us to understand how the change in protective factors impacts adolescent substance use. In Rock Hill, treatment director Kathy Carruthers says that her agency, Keystone Substance Abuse Services of York County, is already seeing troubling signs of high schoolers using pressed pills laced with fentanyl. So we've got fentanyl in the at least the high schools around here. You know, a lot of those students were out of school last year. So what happened to them while they were out, I don't know. Whether they you know had too much time on their hands and got their hands on pills, or I don't know. But it's alarming. We're worried. Rock Hill Schools Communications Director Lindsay Maycheck says the district is so far not seeing anything immediately worrisome. I think a lot of the things that are happening in home lives trickle into the schools, so we would be pretty aware if it was an alarming trend. But at this point, we are not seeing anything that tips us off to be completely concerned about this. Maycheck says the district is keeping an eye on things and that it emphasizes drug awareness and avoidance education. The National Institute on Drug Abuse counted nearly 3,400 overdoses from heroin and illicit opioids among Americans aged 15 to 24 in 2019. Numbers from the pandemic are not yet available. You can find Scott's story and more trusted and reliable news at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And before we leave, I got some vaccination news for you. The U.S. FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee met this week to discuss Moderna's request for authorization of an additional dose of its vaccine, and on October 15th to discuss a similar request for Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. Any such recommendations are then used by the FDA to make decisions. 
Now, Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security reports that Moderna has asked regulators to authorize an additional half dose of its vaccine for adults aged 65 and older and individuals at a high risk of severe COVID-19, similar to the authorization granted last month to the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, a decision which appears to already be made based on questions submitted to the committee. The committee will also consider whether data presented by Johnson & Johnson supports a booster dose for its single-dose vaccine and whether the additional dose should be administered. In a briefing document released October 13th, the FDA said there may be a benefit in giving a second dose about two months after the primary dose. It made it clear that while the J&J vaccine provides protection against severe COVID-19, it is less effective than the mRNA vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer. It's okay, we're still here for you guys. We're still here for the J&J crowd. Now, one tiny caveat with the J&J situation is that the agency questioned the sample sizes of the studies showing a benefit and did not provide a clear conclusion on whether the panel would recommend booster doses for certain populations. So stay tuned, folks. Stay safe, but stay tuned. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. You might be listening thinking, where's Gavin right now? I hear outdoors. (laughs) Usually he's in a studio somewhere or a closet hiding. Hmm. No, I'm I'm out here in the upstate in the great outdoors with A.T. Sharp. I'm not going to say where we are exactly. It's a a spooky place, I'll tell you that much. It is very spooky. There are no lights where we are. So Gavin and I, (laughs) we're doing this. In the dark. We're trying to wind down. we're going to be honest with you. We're doing this right now just to keep our keep cool. Keep you know? our wits about us. But Gavin, uh, uh, hit him with the number. You didn't give him the number yeah, at the top. That's you forgot. I'm too terrified, and we don't have cell phone service out here, so there's <laughs> no point in calling. 803-563-7169. But yes, we do have operators standing by back home. 803-563-7169. If we uh, survive this night, if you Correct. call, we will air your calls. We promise you. We promise we'll air. Okay. Yeah, and, and if you find the recording later, well, we tried. Okay. Anyway, this very possibly. could could be our last caller of all time, but uh, <laughs> here we go. Ben Davis from Greenville, South Carolina, calling in to uh, respond about Lord of the Rings and what my favorite weapon is in the Lord of the Rings. I have to say we love Lord of the Rings here. Um, I read it when I was 16, before Peter Jackson made the movies. Really enjoyed that. I felt pretty proud of myself that I read it as a 16-year-old. But then my daughter read it as a 10-year-old, so uh, that was I thought that was pretty cool. My favorite weapon. I have to say the best weapon in War of the Rings, maybe you'll dispute, this, dispute that this is a weapon, but I have to say the One Ring is my favorite weapon because it's the most powerful. Uh, but if we have to get, like, pointy things, then Sting uh, is a pretty awesome weapon. And uh, both those weapons are prominent in my favorite fight scene in the books, which is uh, when Sam takes up the one ring, wears it along with Sting, and uh, just massacres the goblins who are holding uh, Frodo and rescues him. Um, I felt that Peter Jackson did a poor job of recreating that scene. It was an awesome scene in the books and really enjoyed that. So those are my uh, favorite weapons and Lord of the Rings, and uh, just a a hot take on Crocs. Uh, They're terrible. Uh, You know, I I worked with in a day camp for three years, and I noticed something. 
every kid who came in wearing Crocs was uncoordinated, unathletic, and socially awkward. So I told my wife that our kids would never wear Crocs, and uh, that's my hot take. Hope you guys uh, keep up the great work. We'll talk to you later. Whoa, Ben. Wow. At first, I was a little <laughs> I, was hit, I was hitting the snooze bar. You guys talk about your Lord, Lord of the, the Rings stuff. I Mad love respect that take, to you, way, a 16 year old at the time, and then, of course, your 10 year old daughter. But then with that croc fire and brimstone, <laughs> you've given Gavin life in these woods. These, <laughs> woods. these dark times, these literal dark times. <laughs> I can see the light. Thank you, Ben. Always great. We always appreciate your help. I, I think the, choosing the ring as the weapon, I, I never even considered that. And I love that take. And yeah, uh, Peter Jackson didn't do the greatest job, but uh, Sam was still heroic and is the most important character in the whole book. You heard yeah. it here first. Gavin's so done right now. I just don't. I will tell you, Gavin, that you would wish that we had an elvish weapon because it would glow blue if <laughs> yeah. there were orcs near. I'm playing a little bit of Middle Earthy <laughs> right now. This would be a good time to read or listen to it on tape since we can't we read. We can't read anything. Yeah, but uh, Gavin, anyway, uh, something to take your mind off of this. So I've... Uh, I had a question for you, okay? Mm, so far um, away. I, I not to brag or anything, but I, I during the pandemic I did lose some weight, right? Yeah. And so I needed to get a new belt, right? Mm, My mm -hmm. belt didn't fit, and uh, so it's too big. Caitlin and I, there, it was too, it was too big. <laughs> uh, like the the smallest rung still didn't fit, right? So uh, we get Caitlin and I, we went out, we were looking at belts, looking at belts, and all of them, they seemed just too expensive for what they were, and I didn't like any yeah, of them. Yeah, got to go to the Gap. Oh, I didn't go to the Gap, but I, I guess I should have. But anyway, instead of buying a new belt, I went on Amazon, and car. for $4, <laughs> I bought an awl, which is a leather punching tool, and I just punched new holes there in my we, belt. Okay. Is that cheap or smart? Uh, that's That's... Function beating fashion, I mm. think. I don't think my belt is ugly, though. No, I mean belts are belts are belts. I mean, That's I, I wear saying. belts to the death, and I look at them. And I'm like, oh man, this is pretty worn down. Like but mine is good leather. It's like buying and it's new tires. Up. Like who wants to buy a tire? I, I just I run those babies <laughs> till <Bald>. they're smooth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no gap best best belts. Really, you always kind of have to round up though. You know, I'm a 34. Some say 33, but you know, when you have to buy a belt, it's like 36. You yeah, know? so okay. it's a little bit. I different. understand. Um, I just didn't know if I'm a cheapskate here. No, you're you're very much a dad, though. I mean, with the Crocs and this tool, I mean, <laughs> Jay Jackson would be proud. The Crocs? I mean, I see NFL players in Crocs. Yeah, the end court. Yeah, no, it's... You know, it's I see athletes, like, like, like fast twitch athletes, muscular monsters, mountains of well, men. Well, they're just trying them. to relieve the tension of the Crocs. <laughs> and it's, I think they might be actually going for like a little fashion irony. I don't, I don't know. Couldn't, couldn't say. Can't really give you the full fashion trend report on Crocs besides that they're... Do you wish you had do you had uh, all all weather Crocs right now with good no, grip? No, because we need stable footwear right now. That's why I'm wearing my LL Bean duck boots. <laughs> you got to respect the main, the bean. You're I, a mainer. I, the, okay, here's the thing. Okay, here's the truth about a LL lot bean, of people guys. in the South. They wear duck boots sure. as like a going out boot. Yes, like no, thank you. And that's very strange to me because up in the Northeast with those boots, it's like grandpas wear them. When it's snowy, you know, and slushy. Like, it's not a fashion boot. Yes, it is. Not Very preppy. Not in New Jersey. Not oh, in Maine. Everyone's too busy wearing Uggs. The real kids, <laughs> the real preps, wear the bean boot. But yeah, if you're wearing know. them around the, on the hard streets of Columbia in the middle of December, yeah. I've seen people out in duck boots. And if it rains, I put me. them on. If it rains, I put them on. If it's muddy out, I put them on. But I don't like restricting my foot. I, I hate wearing socks in the first place. You and hate here any I am restrictions, wearing, yeah. Yeah, here I am wearing, what are these... 
knee socks? I don't even know what tube socks. I don't know what they're called. I don't. I <laughs> we wear, can't see them. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a. I wear loafers, but we're out in the elements. We're bearing the wild right now. So I put the boots on like a true outdoorsman, a true urban outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. Gardening yeah. gun wouldn't be happy right now if they could see me. <laughs> but uh, well, that's it. We've spent some time killing time. He's so nervous. Guess how I long we just talked for. Guess how long. Guess how long. For like eight minutes. It's been seven minutes. <laughs> I think we should end it with like, oh my god, and like just cut out. I was I was actually Sound saying footage. like, I, I I wish this turned into like the Bear Witch Podcast, Blair Witch Podcast. Oh, I, I think you're trying to make it some sort of clever name, and I, no. I couldn't figure out. I messed up. I messed up. Okay. Yeah. Are you okay, happy? I'm scared. Okay. Are you happy? happy? I messed I'm up. Scared. Yeah, but I just wish this this turned into like. What every time that we check in here to see if we've experienced anything spooky, like I wish, like while we were doing the the dumb dumb wind down, like yeah, yeah, a <laughs> uh, 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 five thousand year old witch came and was like, "I need to eat your blood for eternal youth," and we're like, <laughs> "We have to finish this wind down. It's gonna oh, be really great yeah. for them." And then okay. we just sprint. Okay, I want this to be my last will and testament. Bury me in the cross. And I'm like, take him. He has a boot on his foot. I, I have real. Boots. Yeah, you could definitely outrun me if anything comes. <laughs> I don't know if I would die together. I think I would run. Yeah. You would run. I, have the, I, have I wouldn't blame to, you. I have the keys to the car. I would. I would be getting ripped up, and I'd be. I'd look at you. I'd be like, you know what? Stall for me. Good for him. You yeah. know what? Good for him. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have to marry your wife. Though, yeah, right? you'd have to marry my wife. <laughs> uh, neither of you could cook, so it'd be tough for both of you. <laughs> yeah, among other things. <laughs> yeah, it'd be tough for among both. Among other you. things, I can't do. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Um, anyway, Gavin, take it out. You know. Okay, Thank folks, everyone. Uh, great talking to you for the last time you don't have a script so uh (laughs) i'm gonna just go and say uh leave us a review on itunes or give us a call like ben did we appreciate ben calling always 803-563-7169 you can stay up to date with the latest news on sceTV.org and southcarolinapublicradio.org and don't forget to support your local newspapers for the south carolina lead i'm gavin jackson in the upstate in darkness be well south carolina Oh my God! Oh God! There it is! It's biting! I know we joked about this, but this is real! It's happening! This is real! (laughs) Chippy? You're you're my soft boy. Oh, no, 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 no. It's easier if you just sit on my lap.